the regulatory side of things is no joke too that's well we're very fortunate to live in the south and regulatory is kind of more favorable to the industry yeah but the further north you go the further west you go and count states like washington oregon california especially in california california is really just crushed logging yes sir like that's right i mean it's a two-year process to apply to the legislation to say yeah i want to harvest this 50 acre parcel of land that i own yeah you know and just to get their approval of yeah have you done your tribal studies your ecosystem studies the soils and hydrology i mean is there is it a native site i mean i mean lots of questions there yeah the regular i mean we're very fortunate to live in the south and we're commerce and we're local economies of scale actually control and let people do their job yeah and correct me if i'm wrong but the southeastern united states produces more wood than anywhere else in the world yeah yeah i think uh georgia by itself would be like the uh in the top five wood producing countries in the world. <laughs> That's just crazy. Um, yes, and the U.S. South, the yeah. U.S. South is really the the bread basket. Yeah. Uh, for for yes. it's 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 yeah. America's wood basket. And if you look at, you know, satellite imagery, I mean, kind of you 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 can see the different terrains coming across from Pacific Northwest to mm-hmm. Midwest and kind of the land use mm-hmm. uh, in each area. And then when you get to the 13 states that make up U.S. South, it's just dark yes. green. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and, uh, you know, I think that's what uh, makes us really unique. We grow trees fast. Uh, we grow them really well. And we have some of the smartest people in the world working mm-hmm. in this industry to make sure that we're producing innovative products like from pulp and paper to uh, timber that's going into mass timber that's going into tall buildings like right. mm-hmm. 1030 music row i don't know if you've been over there to see no. that building but no. it's a mass timber building so right. Is it really? engineered really engineered right? wood that's glued together or yeah. uh, pressed together uh, that has the same tensile strength as steel and concrete how, how big of a building is it that uh, that, one's that, a, that one's a five-story building. Five story. Oh, that's right. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. Um, what's the the cycle on growing wood in the southeast? What how how many years does it typically take? So you can you can do an average of twenty five to thirty years and that would be 30. and it's all about objectives, right? So most landowners and particularly in Georgia, I mean ninety eight percent of the state is privately held by landowners. Is that right? Yes, sir. 98% of oh, Georgia. Pretty, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, it's in high, high 90s. It's it, uh, the, the percentage is actually 92%. Sorry, 92. There you go. Uh, uh, privately owned. And the large majority about that, about 58% uh, of that is owned by uh, families and That's individuals. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. And then the rest is owned by uh, companies. Wow. So larger right. companies. That's yeah. right. And that, that's a big difference with the Southeast over the Northwest too is yes, in the Northwest, it's really like a few landowners just dominate. That's right. Whereas, yeah, South, it's so fragmented. It yeah. is. It is. Huh. And so the, uh, so the number one cash crop in Georgia is pine then. Yeah. It's in, I mean, I, I, uh, it's, it's funny that you ask it that way. Cause I was just having a conversation and I think Gordon could attest to this going through a leadership program that both of us went through at UGA. Mm-hmm. It depends on what measuring stick you're using. Yeah, so right. if you base it off of this statistic called farm gate value, which just looks at the value of the commodity That's itself, right. mm-hmm. uh, timber is actually like fifth. Right. Okay. But yeah. they're not considering value added products in that. Right. So they're. Oh, so they're looking right. at just whatever you're selling yes. that for right out of the gate. 
That's, that's exactly right. not what you're creating with it. Right. Uh, exactly so right. all the, you know, uh-huh. we have uh, uh, 12 <laughs> pulp and paper mills in Georgia, more than any other state in the nation. Yeah. And when you consider the ones that are just over the border, uh, it's like 14. Right. Oh, sure. um, yeah. And those products, uh, I mean, when you break down wood to its, you know, cellular level, goes into probably 5,000 products mm-hmm. that we use every day from, you know, the, the nanocellulose that they're putting in our cell phone screens wow. um, yeah. uh, to they're using nanocellulose now to uh, enhance uh, bulletproof vests uh-huh. uh, with Kevlar, huh. uh, together with Kevlar. Airplane wings, uh, they like nanocellulose because they can reconstruct it chemically uh, to be able to get the strength that they need, but also make it very light. That's right. That's um, incredible. Yep. Yep. So it's not just toilet paper. It's not just toilet paper. It's <laughs> super <laughs> Not just the houses we live, not just toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's in toothpaste. Yeah. And clothing. I mean, it's an, it's an yeah. impressive product. Go figure. That's, yes, that's amazing. Medicines. Uh, a lot of the medicines that. Uh, pills uh, in order in your pill bottle to keep pills from like clumping up together when they have like yeah. moisture changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's cellulose in those products. Increasingly, uh, they're <coughs> learning how to create uh, batteries from mm-hmm. lignin, mm-hmm. Uh, which lignin is a, a byproduct of the craft paper process. Mm-hmm. So you you have to figure out what you want to do with your lignin when you're done with the craft paper process. A lot of companies will burn it in a boiler mm. uh, to produce power for the mill. Um, but now there's this value add opportunity of like, man, we can put start putting this in batteries mm-hmm. uh, to replace, you know, I don't know how to make batteries, but they're replacing right. something in that meat of that <laughs> yeah, battery case. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, 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 could revolutionize kind of how, I mean, because if you think about electrification and all of these cars now coming on uh, on uh, the market, you know, being electric cars, even equipment being electrified, mm-hmm. those batteries could now be made out of lignin, mm-hmm. much more sustainable than lithium. And you're getting, you know, kind of the same energy. So. Yeah, the whole... the. The battery thing's a whole can of worms, but I think they've right. talked about we're right. going to make everything electric, and then now they're doing the math on it. Like, ah, oh, shoot, how do you accomplish? How that? do we do this exactly? Because yeah, it's not physically possible. So, which is good. It drives innovation. It does. Um, but right. yeah, they have a a problem on their hands that I wouldn't want. Um, <laughs> um, I've always wanted to go to a paper mill, uh, but for whatever reason, I think it'd be easier for me to visit the White House. Than a paper mill, even though I'm pretty yeah. sure it's all the same process. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But for, yeah, for whatever reason, they are just really prickly about letting anybody in those places. It's tough. And like they feel like they got the trade secret that revolutionized the business, you know? I mean, this. I, 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 but it, even if there was a trade secret, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what it is sure. if I looked right at it. That's like, right. I, I couldn't right. tell you. I just want to see how you take a tree. That's right. And make it into a cardboard box. That's, that's right. what I, that's what I'm here to learn. Well, this is like, I'm, yeah. I just, I'm like, treat me like a six year old. Just explain it to me in the most basic terms. <laughs> That's right. Everything else, I, it goes way over my head anyway. I understand. The, That's right. The, uh, and we can help you with that. Yeah, um, absolutely. To, to get into one, especially if you want to do that in Georgia. But um, the the paper mills are really interesting because everything, uh, uh, they can run an entire paper mill with like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like 10 to 15 people. 
because assuming no breakdowns, assuming everything's right. just running top tier. Really? That's right. And oh. and so most people who are in that job will be on the front end of the mill, mm-hmm. uh, loading in uh, material. Yeah. Uh, so wood chips, essentially, or they're operating the chipper that's then moving, you know, to the chip pile, and then the chip pile's going into the mm-hmm. the mill, but um, or they'll be on the shipping uh, and delivery side. Yeah. And in the middle, uh, it's kind of a ghost town because mm-hmm. everything's in this big box. Right. And, you know, you'll go into like a little cab inside the mill and there'll be like five mm-hmm. guys in there. Yeah. And they're all looking at, you know. Yeah. Running controls, checking the monitors, making sure yeah. output and no, no slowdowns of the equipment. And But when they have a breakdown, it's a pretty catastrophic event because everything has to stop. And then bringing a pulp mill back online is a significant process. Yeah, yeah, it'll be like a horde of engineers. Just That's right, I'm know, sure. Yeah. yeah, it can go yeah. from days and weeks of getting that machine back online, and so it's efficiency is everything in a pulp mm. mill. Um, what percentage of the the wood goes to pulp versus like lumber and that kind of stuff? So, so for for myself, yeah, if I'm looking at a stand of timber and yeah. I've got a hundred acres that I'm mm-hmm. about, let's say I'm going to clear cut. Mm-hmm. I can approximate 25 to 30% of that volume will be a pulp wood product. Okay. Oh, so that's not as high as I was. Exactly. Yeah. So most of the solid wood actually goes to make solid materials. Okay. You know, so dimensional lumber, structural mm-hmm. materials of that nature, but everything else is a byproduct essentially. Yeah. That goes to the pulp, to the pulp mills and make, like I said, the paper, cardboard, things that we use on a daily basis. Um, so do you go, is that, what, what is your day-to-day job? So my day-to-day job is overseeing the logging operations. Okay. And so at any given time, I can have one crew, like just last week, I had six crews and the amount of rain that we've had, I'm down, I'm back down to one. Yeah. And this morning when I got up, the, got a text from one of my timber buyers and said, hey, the crew's not working today. It rained a significant amount last night. And so, okay. so at any given moment, I'm overseeing a crew on a hundred thousand acres in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that That's... So there's like you were saying, it's it's very it's a very skilled, uh, it's it's very skilled in a lot of ways. People view logging as basically a bunch of Neanderthals just cutting down the woods, which okay. is not at all it. Like the very first thing that I've I've noticed about logging is someone has to know what they're looking at because Absolutely. every tree, <laughs> like that's, right. that's a telephone pole. That's pulpwood. <laughs> you just and, and and then you're feeding a bunch of different mills at the same time right. from the same stand, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's wild. I, but but to me, it all it's all just trees. It's like yeah, that's a tree. I, I I don't know how that's a telephone pole, but apparently it's a telephone pole. I, I don't I don't get it. Well, it, it all begins from the cutter. You know, from that operator has to lay down every drag of wood in a certain manner that's oriented to get to the mill. He's already thinking of the logistics yeah. and how the loader man's going to sort that wood. How's the skidder going to get that to the yard? And then obviously it's the loader man's job to get it onto the truck and into the mill. Yeah. But it all starts at the stump. Yeah. And, and it's having a team that knows what products we're moving, what what the priorities are. I mean, it, it takes a full team. No, oh, it's incredible that, yeah, you, they can, and as quickly as they're moving, identify yes. what. It's split seconds. It's it's seconds. That's and, right. and tree, 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 you know, just what they, they know exactly where they're laying stuff down. And it looks, um, it looks amazing watching somebody that knows what they're doing. It is. It's impressive. Cut wood. Even for myself, I've seen it for a long time. And when I'm writing contracts and writing the specs 
and seeing all the sorts that that one operator is going to have to make on a particular job, yeah, it blows my mind that he can cognitively see something and automatically know, okay, I can get two cuts out of that. I can get three cuts out of mm-hmm. that. Usually it's one or two. I mean, especially yeah. depending on the sort, yeah, you know. But and then all those destinations and dealing with quotas and dealing with the logistics and the availability of operators that run the trucks. It's a it's a feat. Yeah. So there's there's uh, somebody running a cutter cutting the trees down, laying them down in piles in an orderly fashion. That's right. Then you have a skidder that grabs them, pulls them out of the woods, brings it to the deck or whatever, yes, sir. wherever the loader's at. And then the loader operator is the one, and, and the loader operators to me are by far the most um, interesting and impressive they because are. they have this, like, this this formula running through their head nonstop, it's kind of like Rain Man in it. You almost you almost can see the facts and <laughs> you figures. You can almost there. see the numbers, that's yeah, right. buzzing about, yeah, that's, that's exactly yeah, like right. a swarm of bees. It's just yeah. it's incredible. That's and you're right. like, do you have a cheat sheet or something? No, like, <laughs> yeah. it's all just in their head. I, I don't know how the hell they do it. Yeah. That's right. It's that's incredible. Right. It is. It really is. Uh, but yeah, they're taking in those piles and then they're sorting it. And and trucks are coming in. You know, where this truck's going to that mill. This truck's going to that mill. They're all going to different places. And they have to know what the hell's going on. They do. Mad scientists. It's, it's it so really cool. is. That's yeah. right. It's so cool. And it usually takes like a couple of people. And I'm always amazed at how much some of those guys are able to do without any technology support. Yeah. 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 There's um, nothing. They're like eyeballing it. I mean, yeah. when that operator is pulling it through that CTR at the end of this long carriage. Yeah. I mean, he's looking at it going, that looks to be a five inch top. Uh-huh. And when he's pulling it through and stopping at that point to make that cut. It never ceases to amaze me when he lays it down and I go put a tape to it. It is five inches on the dot. Well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if the loader man does his job wrong and oh. sends a load to the mill, that it, the load uh, the mill can just reject whatever they, they want. They can reject mm-hmm. it. That's exactly they right. They can just say, nah, we're good. And that's the load of shame that's going back to the woods. You know, <laughs> there's always that one log or there's a whole load yeah. I mean, that's having to go back. Either it gets rerouted or has to be reloaded, which is when they're running on productivity. That's a That's a killer. Sure. And that's why I think you know, like some of these jobs are really good paying jobs. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, a, yeah. a loader, uh, he could make, you know, between maybe sixty to seventy thousand dollars starting out if he's you know skilled enough, and then they could mm-hmm. grow that guy over time mm-hmm. to be in a hundred, hundred and twenty uh, range, no college degree in Georgia. In Georgia. Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's pretty yeah. good in the state of Georgia. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, that's no joke. The problem you run into uh, is that it's just user experience, right? I mean, uh, we're at that we're at that generational gap that I would call that a lot of the guys that have been there 30, 40, 50 years, I've got a bulldozer operator that's been on a bulldozer for 55 years. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's about to retire. Yep. And I'm and I was they're going to have a tough time replacing that man. Mm-hmm. And the same goes in the woods. I mean, the skilled labor there is severely lacking now. Yeah, it, it's um, really in any trades. I mean, that's what we're trying to do with our, our training program is it's it's not so much about the software. Uh, it's more about getting what's in these people's heads. Yes, sir. On to somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. <laughs> like it just put it in a repository before they're gone, because once they're gone, they're gone. That's right. So all of that information, it just gets deleted yep. once they walk yeah. off. Yeah, it does. And that's a huge, huge, huge problem. And they... There's been this uh, generational shift, especially as we developed as a nation, because most of the people in logging grew up probably around it in some fashion. 
or grew up around work in some fashion. In mm-hmm. rural America, they're working from the time they can walk in a lot of ways. They They've are. just naturally learned this whole process. And now we're having to pull people who've never worked in their lives out of cities into logging. And they're overwhelmed by it. They're overwhelmed by it. It's 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 a totally different learning curve. It's not that they're dumb. Like I don't think there's a difference between IQ necessarily, but they've never learned it. Well, I think there's a difference in drive too. I mean, like yeah, definitely. And so to come from, I mean, I grew up in the country, and my my parents were. I mean, my dad worked in maintenance. My mom worked at the local college there, and so I mean, it was just a, a, a humble way to grow up. We farmed. We worked in chicken houses. We worked cows. We did. I mean, it was just expected that hey. My son was available that day. He's going to come work for you. Free labor. That's right. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, yeah. we're cheap labor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have lost that, you know, that if not, I don't think it's no fault of their own. It's just for where they grew up and lack of interest in what, what people used to do. That reminds me, I was going to make a joke on the internet the other day. Like, you know how we solve a workforce problem is more child labor. Yes, sir. Like, yeah. And, it, and yeah. it sounds ridiculous, but it's like. I don't know. I mean, just about everybody that's worth anything from a work ethic standpoint has worked, worked as a child. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah. That's but right. now we've taken that away. Yes, sir. And 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 put it put in all of these activities and and gotta everything. Keep them busy doing you got to keep them busy. Yeah, and, yeah, and then yeah, and then there's yeah. video games and all yeah, kinds yeah. of shit nowadays. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so these kids, they don't, they just don't learn that. It's not their fault. It's not. Um, but I'm, I was thinking, I was like, we need more child labor. Yes, I really <laughs> think that's the solution here. <laughs> it really is. So people may laugh at us. I mean, I have three small children. There's a seven, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. Yeah. My seven-year-old was working in the garden with us this weekend. You know, he's rumbling and grumbling. You know, I was like, I don't want to do this right now. But by the, by the third or fourth row of doing it, he saw the end product of what we were doing. Yeah. And you could see it in his eyes. Like, I produced a product and something that's worth proud uh, to be proud of. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he planted the seed, he actually watched it grow and then he p- produced, picked the pr- fruits of his labor, you know, and that pr- that's what you want, right? Yeah. And it's for people to realize or see a result. So I, I grew up the complete opposite way. Right. I, I grew up so comfortably. It's not even, it, it's, it's almost sounds like a joke. Some of the stuff that I got through <laughs> as a kid and, and where we were. Yes, sir. Um, and and so I you know, get to 15 years old, go to Montana, get my ass kicked for the first time. But the older you get without working, I feel like like the concept of escape velocity, mm-hmm. the yeah. energy at which you need to get out of that That's right. realm of like it only increases. And I was in a position where I had to get over that. And then you get on the other side and you get that sense of pride and that sense of accomplishment and that desire to work more for whatever reason, even when it really sucks. And then, uh, I guess a a switch flips in your head. You're like, Oh, okay. But there's these kids will go out in uh, on a construction project or uh, forestry or whatever it is. They'll get their asses kicked, but they don't really need to be there. Or they'll get treated like shit or whatever it is. And then they're just like, oh, I'm going to get out of here. There's nothing really mm-hmm. keeping them there to right. get them over that, that hump. That hump that is that sense of That's accomplishment right. and, right. and pride in what you're doing. Absolutely. And we see it all the time in the logging woods, especially with a new man that's 17, 18 years old, just finished high school. And they get in the woods with these 40, 50 year veterans. You know, they don't have sympathy for the young guy. No. I mean, which is, I mean, they didn't grow up with sympathy. No. And in their mind, they're not seeing. They don't, they don't need to reciprocate that either, but they're also dealing with a different generation. That's it. You know? And yeah. so, and that learning curve is there. And unfortunately we lose yeah. a lot of young help because they just can't bear it out. But once they show their weight or show their, that they're, what their skills are, those, they, they earn their stripes. And well, 
bam, heals all wounds. Like they can't bear it out and that previous generation can't put their ego aside. Absolutely. Because, Absolutely. yeah, I, I, you know, no one was caring for me when I was coming up. So yeah. screw you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that bitterness. And I get that too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I get it as a millennial, you know, yeah. people give me a millennial joke all the time. I've worked with it long enough. Like, okay. Well, I mean, they mean it as a joke. But yeah. They, it comes from some basis of truth, but at the same time, they're, that they'll see the end result and then I'll earn, like I said, earn my stripes and at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, one of the most, I think, uh, uh, telling things for the forestry industry is the median age of a logging company owner uh, is like 62 years old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the operators are probably not that far behind. Yeah, 50, 55. No, like a John Lee in the wall, he's in his 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, and that's median age. And so um, I think uh, the, the entire uh, uh, and workforce, I mean, as we're seeing boomers getting to retirement age, there's a big transfer of skill that's going to need to happen to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And they've been in those jobs for so long, like you were talking about, 30, 40 years. And and thank goodness. I mean, yeah. Georgia Georgia is the number one forestry state in the nation. We have more commercially available timber than any other state in the nation. We mm -hmm. harvest more timber than any other state in the nation. Mm -hmm. We have, in terms of total economic output, we beat every other state in the nation. We replant more trees than every other state. And we export more forest products than any other state to other countries uh, right. and, and and helping their survival, their comfort, and their progress with these products that are essential to your life. Yeah. And it's because we had great leadership from, you know, the greatest generation through boomers, you know, and now all of that transfer is fixing to happen. And I've uh, like, this is why I think it's so important that, you know, you people like you are doing the work that you're doing. I had uh, one of our colleagues send us this. Uh, over the next five years, we have to replace 62% of the workforce um, that drives log trucks. Over oh, the next five years? Yes. <laughs> uh, for equipment operators, we have to replace 75% of the workforce. For oh. foresters like Gordon, Gordon is a, uh, Gordon's an academic. I don't know if you knew yeah, this. Like, yeah. Four years, you know, yeah, uh, in you, you college. Went to a school yeah. for, uh, yeah. is it a forestry program? That's right. Yeah. I went and got my forestry degree from the University yeah. of Georgia. Yeah, that's a cool degree. But uh, yeah. uh, for people like Gordon, we're going to have to replace 23% of the workforce. And for the folks that are kind of a step under Gordon for what we call a forestry technician, so mm -hmm. they're doing a lot of the uh, cruising timber, marking timber, yeah. marking property lines. Um, you know, walking through the else. woods, walking like, through the woods, yeah, doing yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. 32% of the work. Right. Our mills, uh, have to replace 59% of the workforce and all that, all those statistics are from UGA. Oof. So, and, and what we're running into now are where we're kind of our own worst enemy as a state, because we've attracted Hyundai that's building electric cars. And, uh, -huh. uh you know, Bullet we cannon. talked about the mega site, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, down in South southeast georgia we've attracted all this business well now those people who could be in the woods working for right. you know one of the greatest industries in the state yeah are now saying oh, man i could make 20 23 an hour starting out going and working at this car factory 
mm-hmm. you know? Well, I mean, the same goes for trucking. I mean, we're competing with the ports. And so they can go drive a container up I-16 yeah. and make way, probably twice as much money as they could drive on a log truck and work half as hard. All they got to do is just get in the truck and carry the box. Yeah, you, you almost can't blame them in a lot of ways. It's like... I mean, yeah. if, if, if Hyundai opened up down my street too, and I didn't, I, ju- I could go, drive to the same place every day. Yes, sir. I could, I could work within an air conditioned facility. Like I get fed every day. Like, yeah, sure. But then I, I um, you know, it, 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 at face value, it's better, but then what's your sense of purpose? Absolutely. Like, right. You know, driving a logging truck is, and this is where that purpose needs to be driven into everybody within the industry is, Hey, that's, that's not just a trailer with logs on it that is a livelihood that's a livelihood but that's essential lumber that's, that's essential right. paper products that's essential mm-hmm. uh it's microcellulose or what nanocellulose nanocellulose yeah. like yeah. this is yeah. important 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 stuff that's right versus this just Amazon box floating down the highway. Amazon box or mm-hmm. this stupid pink container with who, what, whatever, uh, who knows what's inside. They don't even show you what's yeah. inside yeah. of it. You're yeah. just driving every point. That's and right. I like that's essential too. I get that. Trucking is is as essential as it gets. Um, but from a purpose standpoint, yeah, if you're working out in the wood and you're working outside too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which is there was a study I shared with Matt. Uh, you guys have probably seen it, but it was it was something like the Wall Street Journal and mm-hmm. and they ranked the most satisfying careers and forestry was in like top two. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I think it was. It is. Yep. It is. Because I think that's largely because you're outside every day. You're right. in the, you, you, you work in the woods. Well, according to Gordon, you, you get to understand how valuable life is like when a coyote is like, uh, <laughs> you know, two feet away from you, yeah, like yeah. getting ready to attack you or a bear or, or something bear, like exactly. that. Well, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, we were in South Carolina with, with Bellwether. Those banana spiders. Yes, sir. They're huge. Dude. <laughs> terrifying. The first time we saw one of those, I'm like, that that's not real. I've they're huge. They're the they're the, the size, size of your hand. hand. That's right. They're huge. That's right. And they're like bright yellow. Yes, sir. Terrifying. That's right. Apparently they're harmless though. They are. They don't hurt any. They you, you would think they're gonna kill you because if they're they're when you walk through the nest or the web and it just crawling all over you, it's like <laughs> a, a horror movie. You know, it's know. just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of stuff in the woods that could kill you. Those are not one of them. Yeah, they well, were scary to do, death. Do you, guys are, you guys are rattlesnakes. <laughs> oh, yes. We do. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. Snakes would probably be your, your biggest, That's right. biggest problem. Yeah. Well, and the scariest part about that, I think, is um, there was a, a UGA researcher who was telling me that the wild hog problem has gotten <clears throat> so bad mm-hmm. in the U.S. South. Um, and, and, uh, wild hogs are predators to rattlesnakes and they, uh, uh, they're noticing that some rattlesnakes have quit rattling. rattling. Whoa. And I've found a yep. few of those myself where I've walked into the woods, marking a line and happened to look down and there's a rattlesnake and I'm like, boy, I would appreciate it if you'd let yeah, me know yeah, you were there. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Which is worse for people. Obviously it you want them to rattle. Oh yeah. 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 You want to hear yeah. that. That note broke sound. Uh, that that sound. That's one of the few times. Like as soon as you hear it, your adrenaline just like something so primal sets mm-hmm. in. That's right. That's like I am in danger. Then your heart rate goes twice as you know twice resting within a second. Exactly. I don't know what it is, but it's like it's deep rooted in your psyche that like you hear that, you know there's something wrong. 
And then you're messed up the rest of the day because I might as well be looking at the ground the rest of the time. I can't. I might as well just go home at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but th- those those statistics that's that is uh, frightening. It's it's stark, and um, you know we've uh, our association and through our foundation we've spent the last I'd say four years really focusing on kind of K through twelve awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, our 50-year goal is really to change kind of the cultural perception of forestry. Yeah. Um, you know, we've grown up with schools. I mean, I'm sure you guys could identify. I can, certainly, where we had teachers tell, talking to us about deforestation. And the first picture that you had being a kid grow up in, growing up in the U.S. South. The Amazon rainforest. Is, or, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Or, or like the logging job that's like right down the road from my house. Very true. Um, yeah, very true. And over time, obviously that changed and I'm working in the industry now, but um, how can we help kids understand like, hey, this, this is a life cycle. This is a crop that we're growing over a period of time. There are different types of forests, mm-hmm. but all of them need to be managed, including yeah. the ones in your backyard. The national forests, mm-hmm. the park that you go right. to on the weekends, the Amazon rainforest, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. of course, working forests like we have in the U.S. South, um, and and that uh, cultivating partnerships with unlikely people, mm-hmm. you know, organizations who maybe ten years ago people who were in our position were like, I don't know if I'd work with them. We're now working with those people, right. saying, right. Hey, uh, this backyard tree company, you know, that plants trees all Mm -hmm. across the Mm -hmm. city of Atlanta, we have uh, core values that actually match up together. So your awareness, the things that you're doing are good for our industry too. Um, And so we're, I think our 50 year goal is to change that kind of cultural viewpoint as hey, working for us is what it means to be a Georgian. You know, and having the presence to sit or, or the wherewithal to sit at the table and have those conversations, too. I mean, I, I remember being at a local 4-H event in Houston County, and I had a teacher that taught my wife in high school. Now, bear in mind, I mean, Houston County produces a lot of pine trees, too. I mean, we're dead center of the state. Well, she's a science teacher. She found out I was a forester. And you might as well have drawn a laser that she walked straight to me and wanted to talk to me about why I was destroying the environment. Sure. This is, a, this is an instructor that's teaching our kids. Yeah. And I said, ma'am, when we had this conversation, we, wa- we walked through it. It was probably a 45-minute conversation. And at the end of it all, you can see that she's felt kind of like, all right, I've put my piece, but I've actually learned something. But I-, I left her with this. I said, do you think it's within my purview as a business person to not be sustainable? I said, because the, the next gen, I have to be able to have a crop for future. That's it. You know, and she, you can see the, the dong on her. Like, wow, I never have thought that in that light that you're you're managing a business obviously thinking of the future but it's not in your interest to not be sustainable well, the, the, yeah, the people that are most uh commercially and economically uh, inclined to think about for like growing wood is the people that depend on it to feed their families absolutely that's <laughs> um, right yeah I, I, that's the um, you know the people that that care about the environment the most that i've seen throughout my travels in the united states they're miners they're anybody in logging. They're anybody mm-hmm. that hunts, spends Absolutely. a lot of time outside. That's right. The people that you think are 
the enemy yeah. of the environment are actually the people that are most caring for the environment mm -hmm. in contrast to the people that live in cities that see the environment once a year, maybe right. mm -hmm. if that, and, yeah. and, yeah. and then it, to those people too, it's like, okay, so do you use toilet paper? Yes. Okay. Do you live in a house? Yes. Okay. Uh, have you ever ordered anything on Amazon? Okay. Like it, yeah. it's so simple to just sit here and say, oh, it's bad. And to feel good about yourself. Yes. I'm, you know, I'm defending the environment. Right. But then over here, you're, 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 you're the beneficiary of that entire, uh, system Absolutely. at the same time. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, forestry has its work cut out for it in that regard. It's, it's, um, similar to, I would say, uh, met coal is very similar. Mm-hmm. Because um, met coal has been lumped into just this terrible thing right. that is this climate crisis. Sure. The world's going to end. And, and yet the steel consumption within the world is only increasing. <laughs> and, and the more we develop the world, in theory, the, the, the faster we can lower emissions. So then you can't really produce steel at scale without uh, met coal. It, mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out this carbon-free coal and this and that. But yeah, sure. at scale, it just doesn't work. it's so far off. Right. It's, it's, it's not probably within my lifetime. Sure. So it's this, it's this necessary thing, but yet it is just demonized. It is the absolute enemy, and yet no one could live without it. Absolutely. And um, they've done what we talked about, what forestry has done too. It's, it's uh, the industry's kind of hidden away. Hey, we're we're out away from. Let's just let's just get our permits, and then once we have our permit, like um, I was talking with the guy that um, is the, it's the it's the newest met coal mine in Australia, in Queensland, Australia. This was about a, a, a month ago. I don't know if it was him or not, but he was talking about how all of the surrounding met coal mines are not incentivized to talk about what they do because they're already permitted. And they don't want to draw any attention to sure, them. Yeah, right. But in doing so, it screws everybody else. So he's the one that has to go take all the arrows. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. a 10-year brawl to get anything done because everybody else, no, nah, our businesses are taken care of. <laughs> and, then, and then what happens is this storyline gets, anybody can go run rampant with the storyline that is Cole is, is the actual, you know, is the devil. And right. then here we are. And, it, and, and then it jeopardizes all of development for all of society, all of our day-to-day -day life, which is the scary part. Like the statistics are scary for forestry and for the people that depend on these industries for their livelihood, one, but in my opinion, it's scarier for society because right. yeah. mm -hmm. that's not an optional industry. That's yeah, not like, yeah. Not. ah, yeah, we just couldn't figure it out. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I mean, we, state of Georgia deemed it as an essential worker during COVID. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, vital to life. Yeah. Yeah. For, for every, every product that you use. And I think, you know, we have a good story to tell. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that I think surprises a lot of people about, um, uh, forestry, especially if they have like a con conservation mindset. Um, if you uh, ask the average conservation-minded Georgian, what's the greatest threat to forests in the United States? Uh, they're probably either going to say harvesting or wildfire, mm -hmm. right? It's actually urbanization. <laughs> urbanization and urban sprawl mm -hmm. yeah. uh, is the largest uh, and, and really uh, most urgent um, issue uh, there's a, a collective that uh, the Georgia Forestry Foundation is a part of called Keeping Forests. That's all 13 southern states. 
And they're really concerned about some projections that they got from the U.S. Forest Service that said due to urbanization, there's between 11 to 23 million acres of forest that we could lose. Wow. And once that is paved over, it does it's come gone. back. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. And so how do we, we're, we're not necessarily against development per se, but how do we build smart, right? As a, as a society and as a community, how do we build uh, in a way that conserves these areas that are really giving back to us in terms of clean water, uh, in terms of clean air, in terms of products that we use every mm-hmm. day? Um, and how do we like concentrate on the full value of forests, mm-hmm. not just the value that you get off of the timberland, right. but, you know, a lot of people may, you know, not want to have this conversation, but the largest factor contributing to your clean drinking water is a tree. Mm-hmm. And once that watershed gets under about 60% canopy cover, right. the chances of you having clean water um, or the the chances of you experiencing a what what they call a water emergency, uh, where they can't actually the the plants can't actually clean water fast enough to get it to mm-hmm. communities, increases incredibly. Mm-hmm. And so, um, how do we think in, in the U.S. South, like Gordon mentioned, all the land, the majority of the land is privately owned. The government can't go out there and buy all that land. Um, we're not going to be able to put all of it under conservation easement. Mm-hmm. So what are kind of the creative finance mechanisms that we can do as a society to say we value above and beyond the timber that you're producing off of this track, the ecological services that you're giving mm-hmm. uh, to society? And so I think there's a ton of room for growth there uh, in that in that marketplace. And it's above and beyond just carbon. But yeah. Like I said, clean yeah. water. Yeah green space, all the above. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, the biggest development projects I see right now across the country in a lot of ways are South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, um, Tennessee. Then first step is clearing. You just push it all down. You burn it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) In most cases. In most cases. And and when you're logging, you, 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 you clear cut and then you come back. Mm-hmm. When do you replant typically? It's yep. usually like, around twelve months. Twelve months. That's right. So we allow for it, for the natural decomposition of whatever was broken down. Yeah, it regenerates the soil, um, and that gives us also time for any type of site prep that we may need to do, whether that's chemically or mechanically invasive weed control. That's usually we want to put as much energy into the crop, right? So that's what twelve month window gives us the time to be able to accomplish that. Allows you to regenerate the soil and exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it impresses me that how quickly the soils actually, I mean, can replenish themselves. I mean, I've been on sites that when it was logged, it was extremely wet. There was some deep ruts. And how easily mitigated that the, our ecosystem that we inhabit heals itself over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it impresses me. The sites that I've clear-cut, replanted, thinned, you're doing all these activities to, you couldn't tell me that anything had ever happened to it before. Yeah. And so it's a very impressive feat. It, it it is incredible. Yeah, I, I I've been again to a lot of southeast slogging operations, and and when you're going through, a, yeah, it's been there for twenty five, thirty years. You have no idea. Yeah, that's right. It, it, no idea. Mo- right. Most most of the pine you see driving through the southeast has been planted at some point. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Well, and the the a lot of people don't understand that. I mean, when we colonized the, you know, the the east, we logged everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no f- like science of forestry, so it was like right. 
come in, mash, cut it all the way down to the river, throw the logs in the river, yeah, <laughs> send it send to the sawmill. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, there's there's a, actually a guy, uh, a, f- a researcher that wrote a book called The Greening of Georgia. Um, and he talks a lot about in the 1930s, um, 85% of the Piedmont region had been like clear cut and mm. it was in farmland mm-hmm. and there were so many problems with erosion, uh, soils. I mean, we lost essentially, you know, an entire, uh, you know, history dirt. of, mm-hmm. of, yeah. uh, topsoil. Right. And, um, over time, the industry has brought those trees back. Yeah. Right. It started with Charles Hurdy <clears throat> discovering the craft paper process mm-hmm. and like, hey, how do we use pine trees to make paper? Right. And after they figured that out, uh, all of a sudden landowners who owned, uh, you know, traditionally farmland, they're like, OK, let's put this back in trees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think the United States has been net positive for tree growth for like four decades. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which is not. That's a great story, too. We have more trees today than know. we did in 1950. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, I know, I think it was 98% of the redwoods were cut down originally, all the old growth. They right. just came in there and just leveled the place. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but you go back there now, and it's all coming back because it's- It's been properly managed. It's managed. Yeah. 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 And there's, there's, there's economic incentive to own and manage that land. Mm-hmm. If land is valuable- you will do what is necessary to Maintain cultivate that land it. and make it more valuable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. um, you know, over over time, I mean, you know, people are not going to come in and drop. I mean, there's there are certainly landowners that come in and just drop cash on a piece of property, maybe for, you know, quail habitat sure. or, you know, a, a really nice, you know, getaway. Mm-hmm. But that's not at scale. No. You can't do that across 22 million acres of timberland. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. The, so a lot of, a lot of it's family held and they just hold it and harvest it. Most of the time. Yeah. A lot. Um, Georgia's went through kind of multiple changes. Um, but uh, used to, was it 2006 when we had the big transition from paper companies really owning the majority of the land right there before the recession yeah, yeah. so around in there that a lot of major your major companies like your warehousers well yeah. warehouse still owns a lot of land but yeah. george pacific lp rainier they did a big george land craft. dump. george yeah. craft did a big land dump basically yeah because they were getting away from that vertically integrated model you know where you own the dirt and it, and it fed a meal mm-hmm. and now you're starting to see that tide change a little bit to where a lot of those mills or those companies are going back to owning iron and they're going mm-hmm. back to owning dirt. And so I think it's, I mean, the story is amazing how history repeats itself. Well, it has to go in that direction because of this workforce that's challenge. Right. And that's, I've talked to Matt at length about this is one of the core problems, at least South Carolina, which I'm assuming similar to Georgia is it's very fragmented from a harvesting standpoint. Yes. So it would be, Owner operator with one crew, maybe two crews in his sixties, mm-hmm. probably a negative net worth, like mm-hmm. that's right, barely making payments every year mm-hmm. right. to operate their business. Right, that's 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 going away. But you have all of these fragmented um, groups actually cutting and then delivering the wood to the plants, and then the plants dictate what they get paid. What they get paid, and that's where the money's at is in the plants. Right, and you had the plants in a lot of ways with. All of the leverage, 
all of the leverage. So, you know, whatever we say, that's that's what goes, which is great. But it, it it's uh, now because of this labor tra- challenge, their um, supply is being threatened. So now they're going to have to look at that. They are. <laughs> yes. right. Much at more that, critically. Exactly yeah. Right. Now they're going to have to get right. involved or else they're, they're in trouble too, yeah. regardless of how much they can pay and this and that. It just is not going to get there at a certain oh, point. Well, Matt said it right on his podcast with you that, I mean, they, their incentive to buy it as cheap as they can and then incentive to sell it as expensive as they can. That's just business. Yes. I mean, I understand that. Totally get it. You know, and I will give the mills their credit is that here in lighter years, I mean, it's like they're putting their money where their mouth is. I mean, they're, like I said, they're going back to buying the crews or they're at least price supporting buyers or price supporting fuel and price supporting, you know, I'll give them that credit, but it needs to be a harder look at and, and find out where's, where do we draw the line at? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, how much, how much of the, the wood goes uh, overseas? How much of it is export? I, I couldn't tell you a percentage of like our overall uh, harvest. Um before uh, 2016, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good chunk. Pretty good chunk. Yeah. That's right. I mean, one of, one of our larger industries, um, uh, in the small, small diameter wood side is actually manufacturing wood pellets. Sure. Yeah. Uh, wood, exactly. Yeah. Wood pellets get, yeah. uh, you know, kind of break bulk shipped, uh, to Europe and, yeah. uh, burned for energy, mm-hmm. uh, there, um, that, uh, that's almost a full export, mm-hmm. uh, it's fa- uh, it's fast. It's so fascinating. I, I've been to a, a pellet plant in North Carolina, um, and and we got to see the whole process from start to finish, which is pretty cool. Is, is that cool. in Viva's? In Viva, plant? Yep. yeah, yeah, that's the one. And um, uh, I actually feel like I kept a bag of wood pellets. Some it's somewhere around here, probably some in, in some drawer. I have a bag of wood pellets. It, it looks like something. Uh, <laughs> it looks like bedding for a like rabbits a, or something. yeah, like a, ra- or something. <laughs> like a rabbit or something you put in your smoker or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. yeah something you put in your smoker. Yeah, um, but yeah, they they said a hundred percent of it gets put on bolt carriers mm-hmm. shipped across the Atlantic to Europe. Yep. That's right. We don't use any of it in the states. Yeah, I mean, there um, in Georgia, there's I know of at least three mm-hmm. domestic energy producers. Uh, who, uh, but there's no, there's no need to convert it into wood pellets because you're pelletizing it to make it more efficient to export. Yep. Yep. yep so yep. you can just use chips here oh, so they'll just uh, locally. Chips. So they just, they, they come yeah. in just like a paper mill yeah. and they burn those, uh, wood right. chips to create energy. Right. Great cycle, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of a carbon story, because, uh, while, while burning those wood chips are, is emitting GHG emissions, yeah. it's getting the full cycle because it's going back to into a green resource that mm-hmm. sucks that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, holds on to that carbon and releases oxygen. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah. Um, there was a plant I went to in North Carolina and they shredded uh, railroad ties. Yeah. Yeah. But and it, it just anything wood, they just shove it right in there, burn it and. There you go. Yeah, that, yeah. that's a little, little a lot tougher uh, than than maybe burning you know, a, a virgin like mm-hmm. pine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, you've got a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, in there. Um. Uh. But uh, you know, our paper mills are a good story as well. I mean, those boilers that are in paper mills are producing enough power to power their own facilities, and then and depending the depending how efficiently mm-hmm. their boilers running. 
they can put power back on the grid. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yes. And that's uh, really amazing. Yeah. And I've heard I've heard from some of the the plant managers that uh depending on how the rates are looking, he's like, there there might be some days where it might be more efficient for us just to produce power that day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I've heard that's that's becoming an issue with these big plants, these automotive plants. <laughs> Is some of these states and data centers, some of the states are having to say, hey, like we don't have the energy for this. Like right. we, we yeah. can't actually supply this plant with the power you need. So you're going to have to go look elsewhere, right. which is wild. It's, it's crazy to think about, yeah. you know, but, you know, I think, you know, in our, our, we're so fortunate, like Gordon said, from a political standpoint, that we have so <laughs> many like political leaders that understand the, the, the strengths that our state has as an industry are natural resources. Um, but I mean, in terms of using what we have here to be able to produce power, you know, let's, 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 you know, where, wherever, if the future is nuclear, it's, you know, a little bit further away than where we're at today. So Mm -hmm. let's use wood in the meantime to meet that gap. Right. Um, and it would help so much for landowners like Gordon who are trying to manage those stands and uh, to have an extra level of value coming in for that small diameter wood that's mm-hmm. basically worthless. Well, and unless there's a market, unless there's a market, yeah. And the and the draw is consistent, it's, right? It's not. It, it doesn't, um, you know, vary as much like the lumber market does. Based even on pulp and paper, paper, yeah. pulp and paper, yeah, based on demand. Why did why did everybody make in uh, why did the mills make so much money over the past three years? Because I heard some of them were making more money in like one year than they had in the past, the like previous twenty. Well, it's not so hard to understand that, uh, given that uh, coming through the recession, uh, they lost money like every year. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I tend to look at it a little bit differently because I'm really thankful that those places were able to stay open. Sure. Uh, because if they hadn't have invested in our communities and actually kept those mills open, done everything that they could do, whether that's reducing to one shift mm-hmm. or, um, you know, it, it hurts to be put on quota, but, you know, managing the mills So it's like, hey, we can run this facility efficiently, yeah. give money back to our shareholders right. and keep the mill open right. during this tough economic time. And then seeing them make a little bit of money, you know, a lot more money, more money than they made over the last 10 years during this, you know, really weird supply issue that we had during COVID. Right. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. You know, thank goodness you guys have been kind of repaid for staying open for the past 10 years. Sure. But, you know, to to kind of answer your question, what happened during COVID? um, Everybody bought toilet paper. Well, so to a large degree, so there was a, in a very similar fashion to how consumers thought about panic buying toilet paper, yeah. there was a similar uh, panic buying of lumber, available lumber mm. so from people who are Home builders. Like Home Depot. Exactly. Well, Home Depot came in a little bit later. So you had Uh all these, you know, big, uh, you know, lumber suppliers came in and they said, I'll take everything you've got right now and I'll take everything that you've got, you know, into the future. Because they didn't know. 
our plant's going to remain open. Yeah. And, and even the plants had a challenge where they were like, mm-hmm. uh, they don't know how serious COVID is at this point in time. So they're, uh, they have one guy get sick on a shift. And I was like, okay, we got to shut the mill down mm-hmm. for the day. That's right. And so you're losing Taking all, all that of that production. Yeah. Right. So production took a huge tank during a time when demand for supply was way up here. Interesting. Then we experienced this really weird thing that we hadn't seen in probably 20 years, which was people were actually spending time in their homes and they realized that they actually hate their house. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And uh, the honeydew list got really long. So you're spending, you're spending time in these spaces, like your little office or whatever, like, man, maybe I can finally do that bathroom project or I'll finally finish out my basement so I can get away from my family during the day or whatever. And so they're going to Home Depot. Now the home improvement market has has taken off. And while at the same time, home building, because interest rates are so low, home building is skyrocketing. Interesting. And there's just no capacity. Right. There's no capacity. And so the what's been hard, I think, for people to understand is the supply and demand curve for timber on the stump is separate from the supply and demand curve after the mill. After the mill. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a it's a pro, it's a product that's yeah. been the value added product has a completely different supply and demand right. curve than well, stumpage. I also think no one had the right crystal ball to predict what happened during COVID, right? I mean, just like you just described. I mean, it's nobody thought that we were gonna be locked down as long as we were. Nobody thought that that one person could shut down an entire mill. Yeah. You know, and it proved the opposite. And so, and it created a little fear, changes a lot of things. And so I don't, I call it the crystal ball that nobody had. That. Mm-hmm. It is, fa- that's, it's so fascinating. It's just so interesting how that works. Cause I, I, I remember calling Matt during, during, and I'm like, you guys must be making a killing right now. Cause that was like, yeah. that was like headline news was right. lumber prices, <laughs> like the commodity, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, on the commodity market. Exactly. And uh, I was like, you must see me making money hand over his right. I was like, no. Like nothing's really changed for us. Like we're still just doing our thing. Well, and the <laughs> the the reality is on the, I mean, we like I've talked a lot about our sustainability story, but this is once again our own worst enemy in the fact that there's actually too much timber out there. So in the the 80s, we had a, a cost share program called CRP that came down from the government. They said uh, we'll actually uh, go to uh, uh, when you go to plant your seedlings. If you'll convert farmland to forest land, we will uh, cost share those uh, seedlings with you, and then pay you an annual return every yep. year up to a certain age. Oh. So it really it disincentivized the ag community to plant crops. I mean, just put a tree in the ground, and I get free money from the government for sixteen years, twenty years. But I don't have to do anything. So yeah. So all of that acreage that was planted has now come online at the exact same time. Uh-huh. They're all at maturation right yeah. now. Uh, economists call it the wall of wood. Mm-hmm. So we've had this wall of wood that's hit us. And we're actually, I think, just now starting to work through that inventory where really? sawmills are starting to, uh, they're, uh, like loggers are starting to be a little bit more selective with their tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a dry track, you can kind of, hold on to that track yeah. and uh, play the market a little bit better than you could, you know, in the past where the mill was like, well, if you guys can't give it to me, I'll just go to this guy. 
Yeah. And they were saying what no more than they were saying yes. Interesting. That's such a it's such a fascinating game. It's just so cool. I um yeah, my very first paid work was with Matt in for for logging in South Carolina. Very first paid photos ever. That's um, really cool. And uh that was my first exposure to logging ever in my life. Very first time. I'd never seen logging. And um uh, just learning about how the game is played and how tracks are managed and how they mm-hmm. select what wood to harvest when and how they use their equipment and how they, it, it's just such a um i think it's such a cool industry i'm yes. i am enamored by it yes. i am just yep. yes. every time i get to go see logging especially in the southeast i am just absolutely i'm like a kid in a candy shop it never gets old no, it is so cool. Yeah, yes, it is just so cool because it's so, it seems so simple, but it's really complex. It's, it's, it's quite complex at the same time. Very complex. Well, and you have these great thinkers. Matt's a great example of, uh, he's one of the smartest people I know. He really is. Just yeah. Across the board. Um, you have some great thinkers, um, uh, in the industry, these like titans of business. Who have come into the logging sector because there's so much opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got several members, including Matt, that are, and Matt, by the way, is a member of the Georgia Forestry Association, very rarely harvest timber in yeah. Georgia. Yeah. I think that's just a signature of, you know, how he thinks about business development. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, these, these great thinkers who have came in and what, like, made the industry more efficient. Um, you know, we have a logger uh, who's in, uh, Blackshear, Georgia, Pierce Timber. Uh, those guys have came in. They uh, have us. They have a safety guy who's like only job is when he wakes up in the morning, when he goes to bed at night, is just making sure that their fleet of trucks are up to date and safe. Mm. Um, they uh, they have this really beautiful mechanic shop where they work on their trucks. And they actually hired the guy from Napa Auto Parts to like manage their parts and inventory yeah. <laughs> area. Yeah. And it's just uh, when I think about those guys, I think about just all the leadership and all the ingenuity that's going into the industry. And we've got some big challenges, but I don't know. I'm confident and bullish in the fact that we have the people on deck who can solve the problems that we have. Yeah. Uh, we just have to help them tell their story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I, the, the whole trucking play, that's, that's another conversation too. Yeah. It's becoming more of a trucking. The, the bottleneck isn't trucking. Yes. hundred percent. It's, it's because trucks are needed everywhere. And then, um, yeah, this is a whole thing. And then, the, and then the government's coming in and making, becoming a truck driver, more difficult than it ever has been. Absolutely. At the same time, you're like, what are you doing? Like, right. what what do you think is going to happen? Right. Um, but it it is exciting. the 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 other side of that is, uh, and I watched. I I got to come on when when Matt was still early in the game. So he's Mister, uh, you know, big time mm-hmm. um, uh, consultant, and right? He, and he's a fish out of water in South Carolina. Sure. In like rural South Carolina, rural Georgia. It's like these people are speaking English, but you're not. Like, it almost sounds like a different language sometimes. Mm-hmm. You you have to really focus to figure out what the heck they're saying because and, it is so rural. Like and, and they know you're not from there. No, oh, I mean, oh, it's, oh it's, yeah. it's almost like the sniff test. You yeah, know, like you're not from around. Here. But yeah, that, but that's the thing is they um, 
the, the sniff test is if, if you come in, I know better. I'm the, I'm the smart person that's going to yeah. really yeah. shake things up around here. You're just going to get rejected. That's right. You're going to get kicked down the road faster than, faster than anything. Absolutely. Um, and so you have to like to create the change necessary to, to not necessarily create the change, to, to get this fantastic essential industry from this generation to the next generation. That's right. essentially what we're mm-hmm. about here to do. Right. Right. You have to first say to the existing generation, hey, you guys have done a great job because we're here. And, and, and because you have. of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we're here yeah. because of you. Absolutely. Um, that said, there are some things that we might need to rethink going forward because this, this play, it's, it's, it's been great for us, but it's run its course. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Everybody knows that. We're all kidding ourselves if we say, no, we can just keep doing what we're doing um, and, and then you know, bring it into that next generation you know, with everybody rather than bringing them kicking and screaming. Um, and, and uh, there's a lot of money in whoever figured that one out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, right. There's a lot of opportunity. A lot yeah. of opportunity. Um, but uh, going to schooling, I think there's, it's like 30% of graduates or it's, it's low nowadays get jobs out of school. Oh yeah. Um, in something regarding their major. And uh, I can't imagine that if you go get a forestry degree, it's hard to find a job. You know, bigger companies will, I mean, if you're educated, they'll go after you and get you. Um, And I think we need just we just need to bring that same energy and attention to how we handle skilled labor. Mm -hmm. And I think some like Interfor, Mm -hmm. uh, they have their millwright apprenticeship program that basically takes you from not understanding anything about working in a mill Mm -hmm. setting. Mm Uh, to, you know, hey, this is a pathway that you can go to, to being upper management yeah. one day. And the people who come into that program and get, they get all this extra education, they mm-hmm. get all these extra opportunities. Mm-hmm. That's how you handle like a workforce crisis by giving people a sense of purpose and a sense of like, I know that if I stay on this path, I'm going to end up like that guy yeah. and I want to end up like him. Yeah. And uh, if we can do that for the logging sector uh, as well, by helping them frame up what a pathway looks like, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, somebody getting out of high school and going to work for a logging job and being like, well, if you last till the end of the week, we'll let you eat lunch. Sure. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, which is, it's funny, but not far off. Yeah. Uh, the, um, but but that's the opportunity, you know, the 75% number, for example, me yep. as a young person, mm-hmm. uh, you won't find that opportunity in, in many other industries in the United States, period, period. So you can go look at what in, looks to be the best option today, which might be the air-conditioned automotive plant, for example. Mm-hmm. However, uh, is that best for you long term does that give you that sense of purpose that forestry i mean maybe maybe it does but yeah. forestry has so much to offer from a, a purpose mm-hmm. standpoint and, right. and you can be anybody you can mm-hmm. drive a truck yeah. you can start out at the very bottom mm-hmm. uh, you know trimming loads that's right like that's yeah. it's a very unsophisticated position but it's a vital um, role it's vital yeah you gotta you gotta clean up all the damn i don't i don't know if that's a, you know i don't know if that's a common job but i've seen that that's I'm very, thinking entry level positions here. It's a very common job. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, uh, truck driver, and then you can work yourself uh, into equipment. You could be a, a foreman. You know, um, like Matt has a guy that that helped manages his operations. He started. He was he was uh, running a cutter 
for him initially. Yep. Yeah. Like he was in equipment. Now he's managing all the operations. You can go out and uh, and and manage these these uh, tracks. You can go get a uh, a four year degree. You can go mm-hmm. get a master's degree. You can be an executive. Like you can do. There's there's anything on the spectrum within this industry that is essential to society. That's not going away anytime soon. Oh no! Well, yeah, we we've got a member, uh, Toby McDowell, yes, uh, in Middle Georgia. He uh, his dad um, uh, was in the log trucking business, and then he uh, like one truck or two trucks. Mm-hmm. And Toby uh, started driving a truck for him. And he his story is he kept on pulling up to these sites. I really like that equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that equipment is cool. Yeah. Right. I like it. I want to do that eventually and continue to do that. He grew his little fleet of trucks from one truck, five trucks, and then said, man, like, I think I could, I could go out here and do this. Mm-hmm. Bought equipment, like put his own personal capital down and bought a million dollars worth of equipment, started his own logging job. Now he has two crews. He has a chipping crew. That's right. And he has chip vans, trucks, everything is one of the more credible operations in middle Georgia. Yeah. Uh, just from him taking on that passion and all that risk himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that, the, you know, it presents an interesting opportunity, but it also presents a lot of challenges. I mean, because the equipment, like I'm looking over at these, you know, model cats over here but yeah. the equipment today is more expensive than it's ever been yeah and it goes and up so every day. I, mean, I don't know about y'all but like i didn't come out of college with like access to a credit line of a million dollars or an operating loan that mm-hmm. i could pay payroll with and all right. like all this stuff yeah and so um there's a lot that's been done to kind of help mid-sized operators learn how to operate their business but in terms of helping people get into the field and actually own their own crews or manage their own crews, we're going to need people like Matt and like Pierce Timber and some of these other Gay Wood, some of these other mm-hmm. big operations to come in and say, hey, we'll come in, we'll, we'll help you finance, you know, some of this, this, this equipment. We'll, we'll give you like a whole managerial system. Yeah, almost like right. a franchise, not yes. quite, but it, it's similar, similar, similar model. That's yeah, right. yeah. You bought you you put some skin in the game, but you run it day to day. It's That's your right. business, but That's we're right. we're gonna help you with everything on the back end. And yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Some of those tiger cats, though, just the way they're built, those things you could you could drive through a house. You could you yes, could, you could drive a, a skater through a house, and it won't stop. And the strength and the grapple. I mean, the the tree, the tree, the payload that they can bring to the yard overwhelms me. Yeah. I mean, a six thirty five tire cat can pull a three quarters of a load of wood to the yard. Yeah. With minimal effort. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it blows my mind. Yeah. The the way they're like if but if you look at uh, like a normal loader, like rubber tire loader compared to a skitter. Yes, sir. Totally different machines. Mm-hmm. They are. Totally different machines. They are like just the way they're built up and they're like they're, they're armored and 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 you see them all scraped up and they don't have glass because, well, it's just going to shatter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, Everything's got a cage on yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. That's right. How, how tough these things are because they, they I mean, it's you're just running over stumps all day. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, I've, I've I think I've said it 
plenty of times, but I grew up in country clubs. And the first time I was on logging operations, I'm like, yeah, this is it. Like, I'd rather be on a logging operation. Mm-hmm. If I had my choice right now. That's right. Really nice country club in Aspen, Colorado, or Georgia logging operation, I would pick Georgia logging operation 10 out of 10 times. Not even a single. Right here. Oh, man. Yeah, the, love people, it. Love it. the people who, uh, the, the, Richness of the conversations that you would have oh. on a logging operation versus <laughs> an Aspen country club. That's exactly it. It's, it's, exactly it. It's a lot better. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel the same way. I mean, I grew up in agriculture. Um, so my dad was a cattle rancher and a horse trainer. And um, I grew up around great people mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. Um, they're spending their entire life stewarding a resource. Mm-hmm. And it, there's just something about the fact that you're doing that job uh, that that uh, kind of cultivates a different mm-hmm. uh, perspective on life. Mm-hmm. And I've always liked that. And and I think that's one of the things that's attracted me so much to right. forestry is just the 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 level of people who are in this industry are some of the best people I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And absolutely. They've done a terrible job of telling their story. And and, you know. That, and that's okay. That's okay. Sure. Um, and and I think we've got a, a lot of headway. <laughs> well, I, what's always impressed me is the level of care that they have too. Yeah. I remember uh, Morgan and I, my wife, where she we were married. My son was born uh, the next year, obviously. And one of my loggers bought us our first baby crib. I mean, that was mm-hmm. they took out, all the crew chipped in to buy my Morgan and I that baby crib. And I just thought that's always been something that's stuck in the back of my mind. That these are family men and women. Mm-hmm. They, yep. even though they, I mean, they they may scrap, they may have their issues, but they are family oriented businesses, and I've I've appreciated it ever since. Yeah, it's it's really the American dream in a lot of ways. It is. Um, but yeah, it, it's if you're looking for a career that that allows you to work outside mm-hmm. in the woods, that allows you to care for a, a vital resource, care for the environment. That's frankly. right. That's right. For the next generations, check provides a, an enormous purpose, pays your bills. It's like it's got quite a bit going for it, it if you can frame it right. That's right. Yeah. Um. Well, I've yeah, I've enjoyed this. I, we've I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um. I appreciate the work that you are doing. Absolutely. I just want to say that, like, I appreciate the attention that you've given the heavy industries that make. Thri- living and thriving in this country possible. Yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of like, I mean, like I'm a big Dirty Jobs fan. Mm-hmm. Like I'm probably the biggest nerd, uh, you know, and then anything Micro does, uh, you know, Crab, you know, Deadliest Catch or any of those shows. But uh, we, do, we, we, we need more people like you yes. who are doing the work to highlight these careers help these companies tell their story uh, and do it in a way that attracts that next generation because we can't necessarily rely on the, you know, kind of good old boy system or the, the uh, family, family friend, you know, kind of system yeah. uh, to keep people in these industries. We're going to have to show people that this is accessible. Uh, it, there's, there's an ability for you to come in and to do this job and to right. make a good living and have all the things you want from a house to a boat to a car and, mm-hmm. you know, a family mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and be able to support your family there. All those things are possible. That's uh, right. We just have to create the 
system in which those things can happen. Yeah. Well, that, and that's, I mean, that's why I do what I do. It's, it's a lot, a lot of it's selfishly. I just love it. I'm just so uh, drawn to it all. Just like I, I tell people, it's, you know, you're peeking under the hood of America. Like this is how America works. This is how day-to-day society happens. It, it, does. it doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not just you wave a wand and it appears. This is, right. this is really how it goes down. And if we don't make sure that's solid, everything else goes away. And, and I grew up around, again, these careers that people have put on these pedestals, mm-hmm. these attorneys, these surgeons, these business people. And that's all fantastic. If you right. want to go do that, great. But right. I've, I've seen it. I think over here is a lot cooler. i think feller bunchers are a lot cooler than a fancy office in my opinion and i you know i go to savannah georgia probably four or five times a year i I go out of my way to run by the paper mill (laughs) (laughs) and and at least i assume it's a i know it's some kind of mill they're they're pulling trees in there and they're doing something with it right I'm, i'm assuming it's paper but I, I, you know, I nearly get hit by the trucks down by the port because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking into the port, seeing what they're doing. Uh, oh, they're expanding the port there, and uh, oh, there's the paper mill, and then uh, there's the, they're exporting something over here. I just, I love seeing absolutely. how America really runs. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you want job security, it's like that's what I would do if I were you, because that yeah. stuff does mm-hmm. not go away. It nope. supports everybody else. It does. It does. Um. Well, cool. Well, I appreciate you guys coming up here and coming on, and hopefully I'll be able to see some Georgia logging here pretty soon. Yeah, let's Down do it. Time. Yeah. All right, cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man.